You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Free Kick, the podcast aiming for the top corner and part of the Sports Social Network. Coming up, it's Scottish Cup final week and the short-lived saga of whether fans will be allowed at Hamden ends with the news that they won't be after all. We look ahead to the big game that pits 2016 winner Hibernian against 2014 champion St Johnson and we bagged a couple of celebrity fans to talk about it. Radio Scotland presenter and actor Grant Stott joins us to discuss Jack Ross's men while broadcaster and author Stuart Cosgrove gives us the Perth perspective. Chick Young, yes, the very man looks back on the final weekend of the Premiership and we're joined by former Kelly boss Lee Clark who looks back on the 2016 playoff and tells us how his pal Tommy Wright can overcome James McPake's men. Plus, there's the Scotland Euro 2020 squad, a managerial departure in the Championship and disappointment for one Scott in the Women's Champions League final. You're listening to Free Kick. I'm Craig Anderson and welcome to the show. Now, just as we were wrapping up the show for this week, the news broke of the Scotland Euro 2020 squad and who Steve Clark has picked for his 26-man group for the competition. We'll quickly recount the lucky 26 who have been selected for our games against Croatia, Czech Republic and England in our first major men's tournament since 1998. And excitement is certainly building over the competition, which begins on the 11th of June. So here are the 26 names. The goalkeepers were David Marshall, John McLaughlin and Craig Gordon. Defenders are Stephen O'Donnell, Liam Cooper, Declan Gallagher, Grant Hanley, Jack Hendry, Scott McKenna, Nathan Patterson, Andy Robertson, Greg Taylor and Kieran Tierney. In midfield, it's Callum McGregor, Ryan Christie, John McGinn, Stuart Armstrong, John Fleck, Billy Gilmore, Scott McTominay and David Turnbull. And the forwards are Kevin Nisbet, Ryan Fraser, James Forrest, Lyndon Dykes and Shea Adams. Now, there are first call-ups for Rangers right-back Nathan Patterson, Chelsea's Billy Gilmore and David Turnbull of Celtic, but no place for Ryan Gold and Lee Griffiths. A lot of debate going on at the time of recording. But there we are, the 26-man squad for Euro 2020, and we'll look more at that next week here on Free Kick.
So let's get to business and we'll take a look back at the weekend that was that saw Premiership season end with Rangers finishing the campaign unbeaten in the league. Scott Brown bidding farewell to Celtic after 14 years while Hamilton Ackies were sadly relegated. Broadcaster, journalist and all-round legend Chet Young joined me to look back at all that and his beloved St Mirren. But we began talking about the Champions Rangers and as someone who's seen so many Rangers teams through the years, how did Stephen Gerrard's version compare? They, they delivered what they had to deliver, which was the championship that stopped Celtic at the 10 in a row. I think that's what supporters most craved. If I'm being absolutely honest, I think they're getting a wee bit carried away with themselves. They're a, they're a very good side, very worthy champions. I think they did magnificently well in Europe. I think they represented the country, took the coefficient up. All of that, absolutely fine. I joined in the thunderous applause. But when it comes to naming the manager of the year, if Cam Davidson goes on and wins two cups, which would be twice the number of trophies the old firm combined have won this season, um, I may say that I might be getting a bit more excited about what St. Johnson would achieve. Um, there's no doubt that Gerard has improved the Rangers team magnificently. Uh, and we, 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 we discussed this with the on-field matters, not the way that some of the supporters have behaved. But I just think, yeah, they've been fabulous. Um, but with the budget they have, <laughs> maybe they should have been the right, entitled to expect a little bit more than just one out of three trophies. And Gerard, of course, we've seen him evolve as a manager in the last three years as well. He alluded to it himself, the, the, the sort of comments at the time when he took the job that maybe he isn't the right man for the job given his inexperience. But what is it about him um, that, that, that's made him a success, uh, not only in the eyes of the players, but the, the fans as well and the way he's delivered? Yeah, I think I, I think he's been done magnificently well, and I applaud Rangers for having the patience um, to let him evolve. You see the way he's handled himself. I think he came in at first, and he, he was ill advised by some people around him in the way to handle himself and the way that you know he was expected to appease the supporters. And I think very quickly realised that he would say or should say what he felt was right. He surrounds himself by people who knew the game, coaches, got. McAllister, who's known a long time, who's a good guy. Uh, and, and, and clearly, Steve Gerrard knows the game inside out, what player he was. It was a magnificently inspired appointment by the guys who went to get him. It raised the profile of Rangers. It raised the profile of Scottish football in England. It made people down there take a lot more interest in our game, which has got to be a good thing. Uh, and, and I think he's, he's recognised the players. He knows a player when he sees one. He's improved players. Um, you know, when Ryan Jack, for example, left Aberdeen for Rangers, I was I was kind of worried, wondering what the fuss would be all about. But he's improved him out of sight, and you know, he's a much better player <laughs> to quote Graham Soonest than I first thought. <laughs> uh, so there was <laughs> there were there were players there at Rangers who have improved out of sight. He's um, he's he's managed to, I think, get inside the head of Alfredo Morelos, which is uh, I would think a scary place. He's he's managed to bring a team together. He, he's, the signing of Alan McGregor was just inspirational. So there's no doubt that um, he's done a fantastic job in that sense. And that you know he, he really is officer material. If somewhere down the line he wants to go back to Liverpool or, or, or you know another huge English club, but he seems to have settled well in, into the role at Ibrox. It seems a genuine love affair between him and the club. So. Oh, oh, it's good in that department. 
And of course, the, the weekend was slightly soured. You, you kind of alluded to it slightly there about the, the behaviour of the fans at the weekend as well. Again, what we're seeing this happen again, it's just a little bit disappointing that fans can't go out and enjoy themselves without resorting to antisocial behaviour. Yeah, I think a little bit disappointing is a euphemism. It's a, it's a disgrace, you mm. know. And I point, you point the finger. These people are ill-educated, ignorant, abusive thugs. And and I don't think if there was if football was stopped tomorrow, uh, these people would still be in our society. You know, they attach themselves to football clubs. In this case, Rangers. Uh, uh, and you know, and, and and I think most clubs have an element of lunatic. It's just that uh, Rangers, particular, and and Celtic fans didn't act too cleverly earlier this season as well. Um, but I, I just think these people are, like, are a cancer in our society. I mean, you see the, the the footage of of what was going on in Glasgow at the weekend. It's just ridiculous. And and I, 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 I do we do we really suggest that if, if football stopped, banned, no more, ever more. That these people would evaporate into the thin air. I don't think so. They would attach themselves to something else. They're just they're just scum. That's all that's all they are. These people that they act and that trash the city and trash people's lives. It's just ridiculous. Um Rangers acted. I think they could have acted a wee bit quicker with a statement. Um, the Scottish government and everyone else condemned it. I think Rangers could have been swifter to react, but they did. And it was a strong enough a statement. And, you know, there were the, it was a, a minority. Let's remember that. And most Rangers fans are very reasonable human beings. Yeah. But um, there's quite a lot in that minority as well, when you see the, when you see the footage. And I just think that it was evils of, seems to me, cheap drink and, and, and drugs that, that are a cocktail of madness. Let's get back to football then. Celtic have ended a season I think they would like to forget. But let's talk more about Scott Brown, of course, who leaves the club after 14 years. You've dealt with Scott Brown many a time, Chick. How big a miss is he going to be for Celtic going forward? Well, you know, uh, it was a big decision all round. I think your time comes and your time goes. And I'd, I would uh, I would risk a, a shilling now that he will be back at Celtic Park in the fullness of time in one role or another. He's been a magnificent player. Nutty as a fruitcake, um, <laughs> lovely fella. Um, you know, he's, uh, I could tell you stories about Scott, but he's, he's, he's the image of what he portrays, you know, and they, they will have in the eye, the, the way that some supporters of other clubs will see him, is not Scott Brown. He is a, a real decent human being in a, in a funny book. Um, he's been a massive player. For Rangers, um, I'm talking to Bobby Williamson this week, and it was Bobby Williamson. At Hibs, who, who had an incredible group of young players coming through, Kevin Thompson and um, Gary O'Connor, Derek Riordan, uh, Stephen Whitaker, all at that time. And Hibs were producing an astonishing amount of players. Scott Brown and Kevin Thompson seemed to be the pick of the bunch back then. And that was a long time ago. And, and he leaves Celtic as, I mean, the array of, of medals and honours he has is just ridiculous. Um, I remember way back I adored Billy McNeil and Billy everything he achieved well Scott Brown actually the number of medals he never quite conquered Europe the way Billy did but the number of domestic medals he's won is just ridiculous magnificent player I think for everyone concerned if I've been honest it was the right decision for him to move on he'll start you know down the road of learning how to be a coach um, and I think the new manager Eddie Howe who comes in would be happy that there's no 
hangover from a previous regime that, you know, you clear the decks, you start again, build your own new era. And I, I think that, um, I don't know this, but it would be my suggestion that, that Eddie Howe was probably not that desperate in, in, in asking Scott to stay, that he wanted to move on and, and build again. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> it's not me getting emotional about Scotland's there. So uh, it's, uh, it was my tea going down the road. So he, he, I think he's moved on at the right time and to begin another adventure. We'll see what happens at Aberdeen. Of course, and he's one of those guys, as you say, he's one of those big characters in the game. It's going to be a huge hole for Celtic to, to fill, you know, if indeed it is Eddie Howe coming in to, to replace him. Who do they look to, to to fill that gap? Is it something as, they can do straight away? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they, I mean, the, yeah, I think I hope the Celtic players, so like Callum, Callum McGregor, marvellous talent, hasn't had the greatest season, and I don't like seeing that going into the European Championships because he's, he's such a talent. He, he would you would have thought that he was, he was the automatic um, next captain, if you like, of the club. We'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see what guys are brought in. I mean, people are very wise after the event. I've got I've got to hold my hands up and say. When I heard they were signing Shane Duffy, I thought, that's a great signing. Here's a guy who'd played the Brighton alongside a, a new Rangers legend, his teammate at centre-half. And yet, it didn't work out. But It clearly didn't work out. But you have to say at the time, Shane Duffy, yeah, that's, that's a good signing for Celtic. So who knows? I think there are pressures when you come into the old firm. I don't care what your level you've played at down south. You come in here... It's a different world. Glasgow, as, as we're finding out yet again, is a madhouse. And you come into this environment, you have to be not just of a special ability, but of a special frame of mind to play for either Rangers or Celtic. Uh, it just didn't work for Shane Duffy, but I, I, I thought it was a good sign the first time around. So I'm sure the new manager will have his own ideas. Eddie Howe will know who's bringing in. And, uh, and I think there's going to be a massive clear out at Parkhead uh, of players during the summer. At the other end of the table, Hamilton are the team that, that's gone down. They've been in the Premiership for seven years now. <laughs> Everyone's picks really to go down every year, but they have finally gone. Kilmarnock are in the, the, the playoffs as well. Brian Rice is another guy, wears his heart on his sleeve. How much do you feel for him uh, and the job he's done at Hamilton? Yeah, I, I, I really love it that, that the Aki's had the balls to give him a, a new contract when they were teetering in the brink. You know, they, they showed that they believed in him. He's a brilliant guy, Brian Rice, and and as 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 a personality, his loss to the the Premier League, I think, is is massive. Uh, I just it was it used to be when he was when he was young and he was a coach. I remember I went with the Scotland uh, under eighteen team when they won the European Youth Championship in Finland in nineteen eighty two, and Brian was in the team. What a good player he was, lovely boat, uh, and I've always had a soft spot for him, and he was. He, he was able <laughs> when he was coaching teams warm ups. I'd be doing the you know the trackside stuff for the BBC, and I, if he was at a game, I'd be standing there to come out for the warm up. And I was really saying, "Hey, Chipper," he says, "I said, hey, how many days to my Galuf?" And he'd go, "126." <laughs> he narrowed down to the end of the season to the to the time he's going to get to my Galuf. A lovable guy. It's so. There's not a game you can go to this country that he's, he doesn't rock up and he's sitting there watching watching the football. He's, he's a brilliant fella, and I'm glad Aki's have shown faith in him because traditionally, if a club gets relegated, the manager's out the door, isn't he? Yeah. So this this is a wee bit of reversal. And Aki's, I was at the game yesterday, uh, and they had 
there's seven academy graduates in the starting eleven and another three in the bench. So that is proof that they are the club that does give the kids a chance. So they've got to be applauded by that. And that survival in the uh, in the Premier League just couldn't go on forever. They, they, they had, of course, they went down the one year. I never tipped them to go down <laughs> every other year. <laughs> so, you know, but I tell you, that'll be a tough that championship. Be tough place to to get back out besides there, Patrick Thistle rebuilding. You know, either either Dundee or Kilmarnock in that side. You know, and we've talked. I, I, I was talking about. If Dundee, if, if, I was saying if Dundee get up. There's another, we've got the old firm Derby, the Edinburgh Derby, would have the Dundee Derby. But come on, I'll go down, we've still got an Ayrshire Derby in the Championship. So um, it's the rebirth of the Derbys if that happens. So it's, it's a massive interest to the end of the season, but as far as the Aki's are concerned, it couldn't go on forever. The, the, this, this, the string had to burst at one point. Yeah. Well, I was going to touch on come on and Dundee next to the playoff uh, final coming up this week. Two big teams. Either team could make a case for, for being up in that top flight next year. Kilmarnock not had a great season under Tommy Wright, but Tommy's still just early in the job. Dundee, James McPake there in the dugout, with Charlie Adam pulling the strings in midfield. This one could go either way. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there'll be goals. And it'll be alive in the second game, that's for sure. I, I think, I look at that Kilmarnock squad, you know, and it, it utterly baffles me that they're in, in the quicksand. Because they They've got so many good players, so many experienced players. I saw them at, at Hamilton. They did what they had to do. It wasn't enough because of what Ross County did across uh, Warwickshire at Motherwell. Um, and they go into this. And again, I saw Dundee. I was up at... Uh, I'm never away for games, you know that? I was up at Kirkcaldy watching that game as well. And they were just... They were, you know, Charlie Adam, that, that, this, that, the, the, the ability of him to pass the ball... Uh, and the rest of the players getting forward, so they're a goal threat. I think I think Dundee though could be a bit susceptible at the back. I think Kamara will get goals against them, so Dundee will need to get the ball in there, of which they are very capable of doing. Um, if you, if you if you pin me down, I would think I would think Kamara would just about survive. But if Dundee win this over the two legs, I'm not going to faint with surprise. It's, it's that close. Uh, but I think they had it in their heads. It was certainly one point yesterday when um, you know the manager knew what the score was at Motherwell and it wasn't, he started taking off kind of key players like Dicker and Lafferty and all that to start the resting process already for Thursday. So they, they know what they're up again. I think they've been planning, planning for the worst, hoping for the best that they would survive, but planning for the worst that would be a playoff against Dundee. They'll know them inside out. But of course, James McPeak will know all about Kelly as well. It's a great thing. Crying shame. It's the phrase we've used all year. It's a shame the fans can't get in because this has been brilliant. Definitely. So, last one then. Your beloved St Mirren. I couldn't get you on without asking you about them. Seventh place finish, two cup semi-finals. Is it as good a season as you could expect or would you have liked a wee cup? Well, it goes without saying you would have liked a wee cup final appearance, but what did you make <laughs> of uh, their season anyway? Yeah, so so here's... This is classic St Mirren. So... At the start of the season, you said to me, look, sign that, I could deliver you two semi-finals, survival uh, in the top league, and indeed the best of the rest. We'd always signed on this wall. That's fantastic. However, when you get the wee kiss of a semi-final and a wee kiss of another semi-final, and indeed at least one of them could have, should have won, the old firm are out the way. 
we've already beaten Rangers and Celtic in competitions this season. It's that's the man thing. Oh, yeah, that'd be that. that. We should be saying, oh, wow, round of applause for Goody and the guys. Um, but there's still a bit, he goes, oh, we're a bit lonely. And it's a sit man thing. I know, and we've, uh, John Baker's leaving the club. I think that's that's a shame. I, I think he was underused. He might have been the man in, in, in the in the in the cup semi final who come on could have scored the goal. He was the man for me with the magic dust. Was to be a trust overall in Jim Goodwin. I think he's been a fantastic manager. The absolute right guy for the job. But he knows best. Except a lot of us think, could you not put Obika on? And, you know, the magic might have come from one of uh, just one last throw of the magic dust. I would have kept a beaker for another year, but there you go. Who am I? Jim Goodwin's a man. Certainly is, and the stock's rising as well, having had such a good season. You don't want to lose him, obviously, he's the main man, but do you feel that he could be snapped up by a by maybe a championship team in England or somewhere next year, if he if he keeps going the way he is? Or, or Hibs. Because <laughs> they all or go to Hibs, uh, but Jack's doing a magnificent job there. Uh, well, I mean, you you would hope you would hope that it's all the way back to Alex Ferguson. You know, uh, went to Aberdeen. You know, we've we've had managers who are who are wanted elsewhere. He's he's he's, he's if, if your manager is sought after, then that's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing that you must be doing the job. He's a lovely fellow. I love his company, uh, and 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 of course you would hope he's sought after, but you would hope also. We get another two or three years out of him at the top level, and maybe he could just win a cup. Um, but I do sense that this year, when Rangers and Celtic were, were knocked out, uh, all be the league, Simon knocked. That was my best night of the season for me when Simon knocked Rangers out the, the league cup. Well, that was just fantastic sitting watching that. So you get wee moments like that, and you think, <laughs> I just think the good Lord deals you some lovely pleasurable things. <laughs> well, I've given you that thrill, you're not getting the cup itself. I think what I said was when you're a Sivan fan, uh, but it, it, it was it was great, and you know, as uh, if you, if, I, I got infected uh, with Sivan from my stepdad, who was a big Sivan. I was never a Sivan fan as a kid, but uh, when I got in my twenties, he was. I used to take him to games. I could feel because of him, you know, I could feel my. Uh, uh, I know I've got this dreaded luggy, this Sivan thing, and that's <laughs> where it is. That was Chick Young looking back at the weekend here on Free Kick. Still to come on this week's show, we get Cup Final Fever with Grant Stott and Stuart Cosgrove and Lee Clark joins us to talk Kilmarnock and the Premiership playoff. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Now, one of the highlights of the year is almost upon us as the last two teams standing will come together at Hamden Park on Saturday for the final piece of silverware of the season. Hibernian and St Johnson are those two teams, but they'll have to battle it out among the backdrop of empty stands and none of the noise and atmosphere this game usually has. If you recall, 600 fans were initially allowed in for the game at a time when we're finally seeing grounds up and down the country being opened up. However, a surge in COVID cases in the south side of Glasgow has meant the Scottish Government and the SFA have U-turned on that decision, somewhat disappointingly. Regardless, both sets of fans will have to make the most of it, and Hibs fan, not to mention BBC Radio Scotland presenter and soon-to-be actor in River City, Grant Stott, reckons the build-up for this year is certainly much different to previous Cup final days for him. I think it is, um, only in so much that we finally, finally, after all those previous Cup finals, finally achieved the the goal of actually winning the thing in 2016. So 
the the build up to this one is different. Obviously, the year that we've had is different. We've not actually been to any of the games, which would have made a big difference as well. Um, but the excitement is is still there, and the the passion and the the desperation to win it, and the idea of winning it again um, <laughs> after so long is. Um, uh, it's 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 really strange to get my head around. You keep kind of because it does feel it's all happening out there, and because we don't actually get to the games, we don't feel we're kind of living it in the way that we should. But um, it's it's funny for when the games are on, and when I'm watching the TV, it's uh, it's very real. So yeah, come Saturday, I think I'm going to be the usual bag of nerves. <laughs> now I've seen a few things in the build up to the semi final where Hibs were being mentioned as, as favourites for the cup. Now, when you consider the season they've had, is it justified and is it something that sits right with you as a Hibs fan? Hibs favourites for the Scottish Cup. There's, <laughs> a, there's a series of words that you would never have put into one sentence. Um, it's interesting. I think that can only be because of the league placings. And there's not a lot between St Johnston and I. We've not, uh, St Johnston and Hibs, we've not beaten St Johnston this season, as far as I know. Um, so perhaps over the course of the season, Hibs have performed better uh, in the league but um, you know St Johnston's run in the Cups has been phenomenal and uh, they they and it was funny because after the semi-finals everybody was talking about St Johnston everybody all the pundits all the papers it was all about this romantic glorious idea of Callum Davidson doing the, the cup double in his first season as manager and from a Hibs point of view I was absolutely fine with that and uh, let all the attention go go on Perth and go to St Johnston um, for uh, for this game. Um, I I don't think you can really say any team is 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 favourite. We're we're so evenly matched. It's um, it's a really hard one to call, and uh, it's all going to be down on who performs on Saturday. Um, and yeah, I mean, as as much as if you know, if you'd said to me at the start of the season. Uh, out of Celtic Rangers and St Johnston, who would you like to meet in the, the Scottish Cup final? You would absolutely have bitten the hand off of anyone offering you St, John, St Johnston. So we're here. It's a magnificent opportunity, a great chance to win it. Um, but St Johnston will quite rightly be feeling the same way. Now take us back to 2016. That was quite a day. The 114-year hoodoo was finally gone. David Gray and all that. Take us back to your day that day and, uh, and how you remember it. <sighs> I remember it very well uh, for a number of reasons. 21st of May is my wife's birthday and I had uh, plans to go down onto to Southampton for a, an exclusive media trip on this wonderful cruise ship. Um, and then when we beat uh, Dundee United in the semi-final, I had to swiftly renegotiate my with my good lady uh, her birthday weekend. And um, so it was... Uh, yeah, I had to carefully negotiate it for a start. As I say, it was a Saturday. It was my wife's birthday. Uh, we had plans to do stuff together, and I had to say, "Would you mind?" But she she knows she she knows how big a deal it is. So so that was fine. Um, it started very early. Um, we left must have been about half past eight in the morning to get to Easter Road because I was hosting the pre-match hospitality, which was at Celtic Park. It was about five hundred. Hibs fans who'd bought the pre-match hospitality there. We all went to to Celtic Park and one of the big lounges there, and yeah, the excitement was was building right for the right for the right for the off. And I, I was interviewing the likes who had um, 
uh, Pat Stanton was there and uh, we also had uh, Stuart Lovell was there and I was interviewing them on stage before the game and we were saying compared to other cup finals that we'd endured up until that point you know we, 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 we you know, we never really stood much of a chance you know you think of you know the times we played Celtic in, in the, the run up to that the time that we played Hearts it was never a sort of level playing field you know um, Hearts had obviously spent all that money uh, to get to where they were and, and to to get them to the cup final. Um, we were depleted as a side, whereas this time, you know, that time against Rangers, we'd beaten Rangers that season and we knew what we were up against and we knew we were capable of beating them and all we had to do was, was play to our... We didn't need luck, as it were. We didn't need um, things to go our way. We just knew it was in our own hands and if we played as we were capable of, um, we we could have won it, and so there was a real sense of belief that day um, that we could actually beat Rangers without without relying on on um, the game going our way or luck or whatever. And anyway, and, that, and that's what happened. So 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 there was a real air of optimism as we got there. The nerves, of course, were absolutely palpable. I was there with my dad. We got on bus number seven to go to Glasgow, um, and my, I remember my dad saying to me, "That's a sign." This is my seventh Scottish Cup final. You know, think about that. That's seven well, Scottish Cup finals that my dad had been in, in his lifetime. And obviously I'd never seen them win. Um, so he was taking that as a as a as a lucky omen, as a lucky sign. Um and so yeah, so we got there, optimistic, and then and then the game started. We got the first goal, couldn't believe it. We were in absolute heaven. And then, of course, as is often the case. Rangers get back into it, not once, but twice. It's 2-1, and then the clock's beginning to tick down, and you're thinking, oh, here we go again, and then we get that equaliser, and it was just fantastic. You know, it was just, you know, the last sort of 10 minutes, we're back on um, on level terms, and 2-2, we're all kind of thinking, okay, we've got extra time to, to endure possibly penalties, but you would have taken that, obviously. Yeah. But then um, Sir David Gray providing that, moment um was just incredible it's a i can still feel the rush i can still you know remember going absolutely bananas and then just as quickly as you you know jump out your seat with euphoria you then sort of realize there's still a few minutes to go we're not done yet (laughs) this is hibs after all and there was that feeling of oh my god what the what what do we do now? Um, oh, we might have actually done this. And there was this. I remember looking around me, and everybody was kind of their head in their hands, and they were like, "God, what what do we do now? How does how does this work? We don't. We've never been here before. This has never been experienced by uh, a Hibs fan in their lifetime ever at this point." So yeah, and then of course you know we, we there was a amazing moment where. You know, to this day, I still think we gave away a foul, and for some reason, the ref gave it to us, which is almost like scoring another goal because we knew that it gave us time to wind down another thirty seconds on the clock or whatever. And then, of course, the final whistle goes, and there's tears. There's you're, you're hugging people you've never met before in your life, and you know, as I say, I was there with my dad, and so I had my dad on one side, Pat Stanton on the other. I mean, talk about a dream come true for any Hibs fan, and. I remember looking around and, and and my dad had just sort of stopped for a wee minute and sat down and 
was just sitting with his head and his hands like that. And I got my camera out and took a couple of photographs. And that's kind of what it meant to him. You know, I mean, his dad, my granddad, lived and died and never saw Hibs lift the Scottish Cup. And he was a massive Hibs fan. That's where it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm quite sure my dad was thinking about his dad and, uh, on that day. And, um, yeah, it's just so, I mean, it's, it's a day that will, almost every minute of that day will live with me in the leaving Hamden and making your way back to the 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 bus and just fans. I've, I kind of think of another atmosphere. You know, football atmospheres outside of a ground can sometimes be a wee bit rowdy, a wee bit tense. This was just, it was like the flower power. It was like the summer of love. Everybody was hugging and crying and can't believe it, you know. Oof, it was uh, it was absolutely wonderful, and then uh, you know we back to Edinburgh on the bus, and I, as I said, because I was working with Hibs, I managed to to go back to Easter Road with my dad, and and there was a, a private function for the the staff and the players, and we went in, and then Alan Stubbs and the players came in with a cup, and my dad got his picture with a cup, and yeah. I eventually got home to my <laughs> wife about half past ten to say happy birthday. I was just going to say, how did you wake up till then after after such a day like that? Well, I came in. I came in here, and she was sitting having a glass of wine with, with her neighbour, and um, I says, "Oh, happy birthday!" She goes, "Hibs won then." And I goes, "Yes, they did." I says, uh, "Right, uh, the highlights are coming on BBC One. Sports scenes on in a wee minute. Let's go through there." So we went all through <laughs> there to watch to watch the game again. Um, but I mean, you know, twenty first of May is clearly a very special occasion in, in this house, anyway. But uh, oh yeah, it's a, a very happy happy date, and. Um, who knows, fingers crossed, the 22nd might be every bit as special. Now, Jack Ross, the current manager, has come in. He's, he's done a great job. Got them to third place. You know, uh, they had the, the semi-finals in the League Cup before. Now they're in the final of the Scottish Cup. Has he had the credit he deserves, do you think? I think what put question marks over Jack Ross, unfairly, I, I probably would say it was, it was the two trips to Hamden we've already had, or the previous trips to Hamden we had, before the semi-final there, the, the the game against Hearts and obviously the, the match against St Johnston, that I think there was a feeling that it was the old big game management situation. You know, there was a big game, we're on a big stage and, and we couldn't do it. We didn't do it against Hearts. But I would, I would say even more disappointing than the, than the Hearts game was that we didn't do it against St Johnston that time round. Um, so I think... We're now because we've had that experience in the same in a similar way when we won it in 2016, we'd been to Hamden and got beat off uh, Ross County in the, the League Cup final, um, and then got beat off Falkirk in the in the playoffs. We've had that disappointment this season. We've had those that sort of punch in the stomach, and I would like to think that that Jack has learnt from those experiences, as indeed have all the players, and. I think if you just look at the performance that we put in against Dundee United in the semi and then Aberdeen midweek and then Celtic on Saturday, I saw uh, a new sign, a new side to this the team. I thought they managed all three of those games better than we've managed other difficult games this season. And that has really sort of filled me with optimism because when we got beat off St Johnston at Easter Road 1-0, we were woeful, we were terrible. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what's this going to be like when we, you know, when we get to Hamden? But since then, the games since then have been uh, been terrific. And uh, the performances have been great. I think Jack Ross has called it right. And, you know, the re-emergence of Darren McGregor 
has has been like you know we've, we've it's like we've brought in a an experienced player out of nowhere. He's, he's, he's just getting him back and the games that he's played for us have been phenomenal. And I think pretty much every fan will be expecting him to start on Saturday, which is which is brilliant because someone like, you know, Darren knows what this is all about. Darren knows the club. Darren has been there before. And uh, you want that in your side, you know, in a, in a game like this. And um, yeah, I, th- I think Jack Ross has, has, will probably admit himself, he's learned, He's learned throughout this season, and uh, and maybe that's you know everything's uh, every day's a school day kind of thing, and maybe those little learning curves were all leading to to Saturday. Who knows? Right. Speak of Saturday. What are your plans? Then you told us all about twenty sixteen. So what does twenty twenty one hold for you? Your wife's birthday's on Friday, so you, you get that out of the way quite early. <laughs> yeah. And do you get nervous before a big game like this? Oh, oh, nervous. Aye, of course. <laughs> um, uh, I will be here. Uh, if it's nice, I'm planning to have my dad and a couple of Hibs pals uh, just out the house there. And if I can get a telly into the garden, uh, if it's a nice day, then that's that's maybe what I'd like to do. Get a few beers out on the deck and, and watch the game outdoors. But if it's threatening, then we'll, we'll just sort of be inside now that we can be safely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so it won't be any, you know, wild and crazy... Um, shenanigans like like 2016. It'll be pretty much as my whole season has been, you know, quietly watching it here, and you know, maybe as I say, the only difference being I can have two or three people in the house now. So it'll be here, and it will, um, in whatever way it uh, pans out, it will merge into a, a celebration for my wife's birthday. So um, she was a very good, lucky woman uh, five years ago. So fingers crossed, it's the same again on Saturday. Did he venture a prediction? Um, I, 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 my my favourite scoreline has 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 forever been three two, and that goes right back to one of my my, my you know most um, important games that I think I remember watching. Important in so much that this was the one that made me sort of fall in love with football was when Scotland uh, beat Holland and Argentina seventy eight, and since then I've always had this thing about three two. And if I'm having a bet at a football match, I'll always stick a couple of quid on Hibs to win 3-2. So, and I did it in 2016, and I'll probably do it again on Saturday because uh, I can see there being... I don't think it's going to be a, a hell for leather, all blood and snorters 90 minutes. It might be the second half is when it come, comes alive because I think St. Johnston can be such a frustrating team to play against. It's going to take us a bit of time to... To, to maybe break them down. But then once once you get a first goal, and hopefully it's Hibs, then St. Johnston will have to open up a little bit and then we may get a bit of uh, a bit of goal action. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go 3-2, not because it's a, a defined prediction, but it's just something I'd, I always do. I always back Hibs to win 3-2 because one, you've got loads of goals. Two, Hibs have won. And uh, three, the chances are it'll have been a, a very exciting game. So um, that's why I always like it. Uh, a 3-2 scorecast, so I'll probably go for that again on Saturday. Grant Stott, top Hibs final, looking ahead to the Scottish Cup final on Saturday. Still to come on free kick, we cross to Perth, sort of, and get the Saints view from broadcaster and author Stuart Cosgrove, as well as Lee Clark, the former Kilmarnock manager, telling us how Tommy Wright can get the better of Dundee in their Premiership playoff. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Now we've heard from Hibs in the form of Grant Stott, so now it's time for St Johnson. And one of their most famous fans is delighted to be at Hamden for another cup final this season, after winning the League Cup earlier in the campaign, of course. So, I put it to Stuart Cosgrove that St Johnson's cup final appearances are like buses. Nothing for ages, and then two come along at once. Yeah, it's quite remarkable and, and almost kind of boyhood fantasy stuff that, you know, your club would do so well. Um, you know, we've got uh, relatively kind of small resources, relatively small fan base. And so when you get these uh, big moments, it, it feels very, very special. This particularly because, you know, we, we're a club that's waited so long to get our first um, Scottish Cup win in 2014 um, under Tommy Wright and his assistant Callum Davidson and for Callum then to go on and end up being in two finals one of which we've already won um, it, I mean it, it, you know it's it's pinch yourself time it's really uh, quite remarkable a, a huge huge credit to the club and to the group of players that they've managed to assemble as well now, I remember St. Johnson having a fairly decent uh, team in the sort of late 90s. I remember there was a League, Cup, a League Cup final appearance against Rangers. You were playing in Europe against teams like Monaco. But when you look at yeah. it now, the last seven years, you've won the Scottish Cup, you've won the League Cup this season alone. You're in, the, in the, the, the top half of the table as well. I mean, how good is it to be a St. Johnson fan right now? Oh, it's absolutely brilliant because, I mean, going back over the years, now that you've kind of mentioned our Monaco team, you know, I, I was one of the generation that I was privileged to have seen the great team that we had under Willie Ormond, who went on to become the Scotland manager. And it was a really phenomenal team. But in the end, it, you know, the bad bit of luck for it is it coincided really with a, a high year of the Lisbon Lions squad and with a great Rangers squad that got to European finals. And so in lots of ways, we kept getting edged out. We lost the League Cup final one nothing, And I think we were third in the league above Rangers, but behind Celtic and Aberdeen. And so that was a phenomenal team. And many people look back on it fondly as maybe arguably, in terms of pure football, the greatest football team we've ever had. But they didn't win anything. So in a way, uh, these teams that have gone on and got over the final hurdle and actually got their hands on the trophy, the legendary stuff. Now, take us back to your day back in 2014 when St. Johnson beat Dundee United at Celtic Park. Just take us through your emotions, that just your whole recollection of it the whole day. You know, it's, it's really strange because I actually live quite near Celtic Park. I moved to Glasgow for work many years ago. So, you know, I'm over in Geniston, so Celtic Park's actually quite close to me. And so given that a lot of our fans were booking into... Uh, pubs and hotels in the area and uh, one of them uh, one of the buses had booked into uh, Craig Park Masters the snooker club uh, which is on um, Craig Park very near my house and their second bus was struggling uh, to get in so I said well look you know if it's a good day I'll just open up the back garden and we'll do an impromptu sort of party so a busload of St Johnson fans that were locked out of a pub came and I invited all of my mates from Perth and we had a really, really good time. And I, I'm well kent by uh, taxi drivers in the East End, so I'd arranged a fleet of taxis and weighed the guys in and said, will you come and ferry us to and from Celtic Park? So we had a great, great party in advance. I have to say, when 
I went to the game, Dundee United, you know, bigger club, bigger reputation, proven track record at winning trophies. We started as far as the um, bookies were concerned, really the underdogs to the tournament. But keep in mind that, of course, we'd been playing them in league games in the previous kind of two or three seasons. And Tommy Wright seemed to have the kind of a hold on Jackie McNamara. He did something that um, managers shouldn't do. It was a bit naughty, but he did it. I think on the Wednesday before the game, he said, oh, to the journalists, I'm not telling you St. Johnson's team, but I'll tell you Jackie McNamara's team right now. And he recited the Dundee United team that actually started the game. So he (laughs) kind of, that was a a spooky thing. Um, and, And you know, you forget now because a lot of those players went on to greatness. Andy Robertson was playing the left uh, wing back for Dundee United that day. Arm- Stuart Armstrong has gone down to Southampton, regular in the Scotland squad, was playing that day. Um, Gary Mackay Stephen was playing that day. And uh, Ryan Gold, now out in Portugal, but a kind of outside hope for the Scotland squad, uh, was there as well. So that was the very cream of Dundee United's young players. Uh, and St. Johnson slightly bullied them on the day, and we got the result we wanted. It, it was a phenomenal day, a really phenomenal day. There's little moments of it where I, I can watch our final goal, the, the second goal, I mean, every day of my life, and I see something different in the clip, right? Um, the ball breaks to uh, us off Cherniak. Uh, it's a... Stephen May puts it through and Stephen McLean uh, gets the ball as a good break off Cherniak and prods it into the net. Then he jumps up, takes his top off and runs the whole length of the St. Johnson support. But I know when I watch it now what he's looking for. Um, Stephen McLean was brought up in Peebles and there is a Peebles St. Johnson flag in, in the ground, and it's the guys that used to take him up to Perth and share driving with him and whatever, and he just runs towards them and dives into the middle of them, and it's just a lovely, lovely moment, uh, and he said at the time that they were all stinking of beer and booze, and all he wanted was a bottle of Peroni. He didn't even want to go back on the pitch, but he, he, it was a great, great moment and a great day in the club's history, uh, one that uh, we'll never, ever forget. Um so we went into that underdogs. I always like when we go in as underdogs because there's something there to fight for and something to believe in. Now, I'm going to whisper this to you, but don't tell Grant Stott that when they, they were talking about the ground maybe being moved to accommodate fans, people were saying, well, it could be for Park Motherwell. It could even be up at Pataudry. They were offering all of these solutions. Mm-hmm. The number one on the St. Johnston fans list was Easter Road. Give Hibs home advantage. We've beaten them nine times out of ten in our last visit to Easter Road. So <laughs> folk were going to say, I'll just give them home advantage. We'll take that, you know. And, and, um, well, so even within that sense of being the underdog, there's great self-belief that we can win this final. Well, I mentioned that to, to Grant yesterday, uh, the fact that Hibs were, were being touted as favourites ahead of the semi-finals, and you would have to say maybe based on league position, that might be the case going into Saturdays. But uh, can we read in, anything into the fact that the Saints have got a superior record over Hibs this season? Hibs have yet to beat um, your, your, your team this year. Yeah, I think also there was the semi-final when we won the League Cup, where against all expectation, 
we, we actually ended up thrashing Hibs 3-0. Um, and I think that that um, is there. And there's a little bit, I think, in the, the mind of Hibs players that there's something about St. Johnson that's got a kind of dig about them. Now, the curious thing about it is that when we've beaten Hibs, and this goes back over, you know, 10, 12 games, we've tended to do very well at set pieces from corners, where if you look at it, you know, even before he moved to St. Murn, I remember Joe Shaughnessy, uh, our centre-back and captain at the time, getting a great goal away at Easter Road. The 3 nothing game became synonymous with um, Sean Rooney and his efforts and and, uh, 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 and Kerr, our captain as well, uh, Jason Kerr. They, these, they've all scored from set-pieces headers. And, and, of course, the most famous of all is Xander Clark's header that knocked Rangers out, the one tipped in on the line by, by Chris Kane. And that was, again, one of these kind of rumble-them-up corners where we've got a lot of big boys, Liam Gordon, Jamie McCart, Jason Kerr, uh, and they're guys that go into the box and they clearly, un- their presence unsettles defenders. So if we're going to win the cup, that feels to me like it could be the way it happens. Now, when you look back on, on, on recent years, Tommy Wright is a legendary figure. That, that kind of goes without saying when you look at uh, St. Johnson's history. Callum Davidson took over. Always a gamble when a, a legendary figure is replaced by someone inexperienced, albeit in Callum's case, someone who knows the club very well. But yeah. if Callum was to complete the cup double and, of course, he's finished in the top half of the table, where does he go from here? Well, who knows? I mean, Callum is Callum's a winner. Um, uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, he's a relatively quiet man, but he's one of these, he's a winner. Uh, you know, he, here's a story, um, uh, and it has a Hibs connection, because um, Andy Murray's mother, who uh, was the tennis coach in Dunblane, where Callum grew up, Callum was a neighbour of the, of the Murray's, and she always said to me, that if she could have got Callum to uh, give up golf and give up football, she could have made him a high-standard tennis player. He was a great tennis player at age groups. And um, and I think that she had a feeling that he had the ability to do something good at tennis. He came to St. Johnson, uh, which is, of course, his nearest club um, locally, and uh, he, he was a very, very good age group kind of youth development player for us. And then something really strange happened, which was um, our then uh, one of our coaches, um, Tommy um, Campbell, who happened ironically to be my primary school captain when I was at primary school. Tommy got the job as manager of Forfar. And he went to the board and says, I want to take young Callum with us and Forfer can afford to give you three grand. And so there was a temptation very much to take the money because it's money in the bank. Um, And as it transpired, within the day or two days of that offer coming in, Alan Preston uh, got injured and was out of the team for uh, months. And the club decided to keep Callum and put him into left uh, wingback, fullback wingback. Um, And he just went like that. He blossomed. And, of course, we sold them for $1.2 million down in England. And so the three grand felt like it would have been a terrible waste of uh, money. But he's always been someone that's much loved by St. Johnson fans, in part because he's unassuming, he gets on with the job, 
He's a very, 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 very intelligent man. He's a graduate Edinburgh University engineering graduate. And there's a side of them, a side of Callum Davidson that I think, even although some of the fans were criticising him at the beginning of the season, we'd lost uh, several games. Most of them won nothing against really good teams, Rangers, Celtic and Aberdeen. You know what fans are like, you know, we've been beaten three weeks on the trot. Yeah, I'm no surprised, you know. But anyway, Callum stuck his grounds and what he does is he plays with three young central defenders. Uh, you know, that's uh, Gordon in the middle and he's flanked by McCart and Kerr. And then two fullback wingbacks. The expectation of them is they have to be mammothly athletic and capable of attacking as much as defending. And it's been a system that's worked very well for us. And as soon as that system clicked, we went on an unbeaten run for, for quite a decent period of time. And then this Saturday picked Livingston for the uh, last of the European slots. So great season already. I'd take what we've got this season. And even in the end, if they said COVID, they were cancelling the cup and giving one half of it to Hibs and one half to St. Johnson, I'd take it. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, uh, you're synonymous with uh, Off the Ball on, on Radio Scotland alongside uh, Tom Cowan. And now Tom yeah. might have mentioned the fact that Motherwell won the Cup back in 1991. It might have cropped up in conversation. So it's presently 1-1 between you two. And it felt like he was holding that over you in a, in a banterous kind of way up until 2014. So what will it mean to well, get he, on him? What, he, he, he had me down as uh, <laughs> every Lanarkshire or West of Scotland cliché. You know, we were a diddy team, we were useless, we were yo-yo. <laughs> you know, he gave us the lot. And now gradually, squeaky bum time for Cowan, I'm telling you. We're <laughs> going into this final. And I'll tell you what, I've done it last time. We had a young guy from Motherwell on the show a few weeks ago. And, and we were talking about the smell that you most that most resonates in your mind, the single smell. And I was loving going, oh, Brasso, oh, uh, Duraglet, you know, <laughs> all those things you need to call as trophies, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm gunning for it because if if I could get that one over on Tam, and he's bottom six now, real diggy stuff, right? So I'll, I'll probably turn on him because basically it looks as if they're new manager. It looks like it's a countdown to relegation, doesn't it? <laughs> So let's ask you, looking ahead to, to Saturday, what are your, your plans? I'm assuming you're going to be on off the ball. I don't know if you've asked for the day off. But off the ball. Now, um, I, I kind of, I'm going to just be absolutely upfront about this. Uh, I'm doing a thing for the BBC at the stadium. Uh, and myself and the off the ball producer, Stevie Miller, who's also a Perth guy Anderson Johnson fan, we take off as soon as off the ball comes here at two o'clock. We've got a car taking us to Hamden. Uh, we'll have already done all the kind of uh, preparative stuff, the applications online, the COVID uh, protocols and all that. Then we'll get down to Hamden and then we've got to be very near the commentary team for me to do kind of fan-based updates throughout the, the show. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and I know that there's a lot of people uh, that St. Johnson fans are desperate to get into the game and I'm massively, massively lucky um, but you know what? Here's a thing. Uh, one of my dearest friends um, is a guy called Stan Harris. Now, we grew up together. We were in the soul scene together. We've been friends all of our life. And uh, he's the only person I know that he, he's on the board of directors now at St. Johnson. And he's the only person I know 
that has been at all the finals. The beaten one in the 70s, the one you mentioned against Rangers in the 90s, and then 2014 victory, and then the League Cup one where COVID kicked in, and the, um, and the one that's coming up on Saturday. So to have been at all the finals, you have to really be in your late 50s, early 60s, and you need to have had some way whereby you could bypass the COVID regulations to get into the ground. So it's quite tricky. And he's one thing that he has on me is that we played away in uh, Azerbaijan against uh, Belarus, rather against Minsk. And um, they had a visa requirement that it was a two-weekend, two uh, sorry, two-week application process for the visa. And uh, I, I applied, but didn't get my visa. I was going to fly there and go to the game. Uh, but he was with the club flight, and they had got special visa uh, permission as a club. So he made it to Minsk. And every time I talk about being at all the cup finals, he always says, I don't worry, you're at Minsk. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to pin you down for a prediction, Stuart. How do you see Saturday's game going? Uh, you know, I, I'm actually going to uh, go with the flow. I think it will be a closer game this time. Uh, I think the Hibs will score. They should have scored uh, in the semi-final um, of, of the League Cup. So I'm going to give Hibs uh, a goal. They've got a good strike force, three strikers that would all be uh, a great addition to uh, St. Johnson's squad. Um, but I think that St. Johnson have got um, momentum with them and I think they've got self-belief with them and I think they'll get two goals so 2-1 St Johnson Stuart Cosgrove joining me on Free Kick and if I'm Tom Cowan and St Johnson do win the cup I would make myself scarce for a wee while one more interview to come on Free Kick and the Scottish Cup final isn't the only big game this week with the Premiership playoff upon us, which will see Kilmarnock and Dundee fighting it out for the one remaining place in next season's top flight. Former Kelly boss Lee Clark looks back at the 2016 game with us, coming right up after this. This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network, and welcome back. The Premiership playoff takes place this week with Kilmarnock, second bottom of the Premiership, taking on Dundee in the game that can make a difference to how you operate next season. For Kilmarnock, it's not their first rodeo, and they were in the same position five years ago, needing to beat Falkirk over two legs to ensure survival. Their manager over those two games was Lee Clark, who got them over the line in a 4-1 aggregate win. But first of all, I asked him to tell me what the build-up was like heading into those two games. Well, obviously the build-up... is quite tense. You've got to try and keep the players calm. You've got to make them realise that um, it's over the two games as well. It's not over the first game, which obviously, like my team, uh, Tommy's team, will be away in the first leg. And uh, so, you know, you've got to realise that you've got to stay in the game and make sure that when you go back to Rugby Park that uh, you're ready to take the opportunity. Now, the ideal scenario is you just go and you know, win the game outright um, at Dundee and, uh, you know, you come back to Rugby Park with a, you know, a good scoreline. But, you know, I can imagine Dundee will fancy the chances and uh, so, no, I just got to try and keep everyone calm. You know, there's a lot at stake and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's massive things for Tommy to do, Tommy Wright in terms of changing things the way he'd like them to be and if he can keep the club in the Premier League very similar to, to what I've done um, you know you, you, you've got the group that you have and you've got to just find a way of 
getting over the line and staying in the league, then you can uh, readdress um, the the issues that you feel you have to to make the club progress. Now we keep hearing that a game like this, uh, I think it's maybe more in England, but certainly in Scotland, when you've got the Premiership that brings in the big TV deal compared to the Championship, less so. You always hear about the pressure of, you know, obviously the club's going to lose money and how it could affect people with jobs at the club, for example. Was that something you were very aware of getting into your game? Absolutely, yeah. That was the the, the main talking point for me with the players. Um, it wasn't about what would happen to us as a management team, what would happen to the players. It was more to do with the fantastic people behind the scenes who, you know, most of the time, the people who work behind the scenes in the offices, etc., the, the support that club, and that was the case with Killy. The, the, the people behind the scenes there were big Killy fans and were, you know, really happy to be involved in the football club. And ultimately, when the finances get hit by a relegation, um, you know, unfortunately, um, they are the first people that have to get moved on when there's redundancies. So that was a big factor for me. I didn't want to see fantastic people who work as hard as anybody lose their jobs and a job that they love for their football club and um, thankfully that never happened Now the first leg Falkirk got a last minute winner uh, the lad Will Volks got the, 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 the final uh, scored with pretty much the final kick of the game what do you remember about your emotion after that, that first game having come through that first leg and ending in defeat Well it was an awful goal from our point of view we were the better team on the night but we looked like it was going to be a nil-nil. And then we gave an awful goal away. Um, and what I decided to do was I sat the players down straight in the dressing room at Falkirk to, to watch a rerun of the goal. Usually we do it the day after. But I felt, get this out of the way, get it done and dusted, get it brushed, brushed under the carpet. Let's see the reasons why I felt it was a really bad goal. Uh, and we did. We, we got that in the dressing room straight away. We got it off our chests. So it wasn't lingering because uh, of the quick turnaround uh, for the second leg. Um, and that's what I've done. And I had lots of confidence in the players because I felt, you know, they didn't deserve to lose that game. But it just showed you that in those type of scenarios, if you make a mistake or you switch off like we did, you get punished. And um, so we got that done after the first leg straight away. Could then get back with the players, get them recovered and just concentrate on the second leg. We didn't have to do any debrief because we've done it immediately in the dressing room. The total focus was on the second game. And that's what I mean when I say that you've got to remember it's over the two games. And that's what we did. We just channeled all our energies into uh, trying to have an unbelievable start, which we, humble, which we did, and blow Falkirk away. And um, we knew we had power and pace in the team. And uh, we used it to fantastic effect on the day. He certainly did. I'm just looking at it there. Greg Kilty and Miles Addison, two goals in the first 10 minutes and straight away that the, the tie had turned around. Did you have any fears that Falkirk would find a way back or were you confident that the guys had got the rhythm and that was them? Well, listen, we played extremely well, but I always respect my opponent and Peter had, was doing a fantastic job. Peter Houston with the Falkirk group then, you know, they'd done brilliant. I don't think anyone expected them to get past Hibs, to be honest with you. A strong Hibs team that Alan Stubbs had. Um, I remember going to that uh, semi-final because I knew we were going to be in the playoffs and uh, that was a bit of a shock. So we, we knew we had to keep respecting them and I think our performance by the players showed the respect we had for Hibs because we, uh, sorry, for Falkirk because we kept uh, 
we kept going at them. We didn't switch off. We didn't get the 2 0 and think the hard work was done. We kept going, went three, went four, had other opportunities. And uh, every single player that day, you know, were on top of that game. And, uh, you know, we, we ran out comfortable winners in the end and uh, showed our qualities and allowed me to, to, to make the one or two changes that I felt we had to. When it comes to the end of a game like that, in this case you won 4 0, you were quite comfortably through 4 1 in aggregate, kept your place in the, the Premiership. I'm curious about the celebration. You celebrate it, obviously, but is there more relief involved as well that you, you've got the club over the line and you have preserved not only their place in the league, but again, going back to the jobs and, and help the people that work at the club as well? Absolutely. That was one of the main emotions, relief. Obviously, you're delighted. I went in there and they were already in a precarious position. Thankfully for me, which hasn't been the case for Tommy, because right up until the last minute, you know, things were happening you know, with Motherwell and Ross County and his game at Hamilton. But I knew with a couple of games of the season left, so the last couple of games, Dundee United at home, especially with experimental players. And that's when I found the little gem in Greg Taylor, um, who then I played in those two playoff games and just went from strength to strength. And uh, so it's um, it was... It, it, the relief was enormous. The support on the day, the numbers that turned out, I just felt, wow, this club, you know, you want to be involved in that all the time. And the support was brilliant. You think, let's not let these down in issues. As we rightly talked about, the people behind the scenes, I didn't want to let them down either. Now you were saying to me before we started recording, Tommy Wright is an old teammate of yours from Newcastle, of course. He's now the Kilmarnock manager. What have you made of the job he's done there so far? Well, he was a great choice for me. Tommy done a brilliant job at St. Johnston and I, as I said, we're good teammates at Newcastle. We worked together on the staff at Norwich when I was assistant manager and Tommy was the goalie coach and our families lived very close to each other. So there's a strong relationship there. Paul Stevenson is the assistant. Paul was on my staff at Kilmarnock and has been at various clubs. So the connection, not just to Kilmarnock, but to the current uh, management team is strong. So I'm desperate for them to do well. I think if he can get through this point and they are in good form, you know, Tommy said that after the result at Hamilton, they're playing well. Great to see young Greg Kilty over his injury problems and playing a, a really strong, prominent part in the in the team. I would imagine he's been a great uh, foil for Kyle Lafferty. Great combination that could could be. Um, so yeah, I'm just hoping they can do it, and then Tommy can build like he did at St Johnson, a team that's uh, continually in the top six. And, and, and trying to challenge to win cup competitions. And uh, I think, uh, obviously, he'll probably have more resources at Kilmarnock if he can keep them in the Premier League than he did at St Johnson to do that. So as long as they get through this tough double header with Dundee, um, you know, the, the future could be really bright for them. And this is where a player like Kyle Lafferty comes in. Kyle was signed um, and brought in, done a great job for Kilmarnock so far. I, th- I think he's into double figures so far in terms of goals. Obviously, the kind of player Tommy can lean on in these next two games. Yeah, Tommy seems to have a strong relationship with Kyle. Obviously, both Northern Ireland lads, and uh, so there'll be a link there. And I think Tommy's probably, you know, give him a home, give him a cuddle. He looks like a player who has unbelievable ability, but you know, he's he's flitted from club to club throughout his career. I think he's he's even come out and said he wants a home. He wants to live, be living in Scotland. He wants to be playing there. So I think it's the ideal fit for two. And, when you sign someone like that, you, you are a bit worried because it was one of them signings that was out of the window and you're worried about that, the match fitness. But 
he's been amazing. His goals have been fantastic. His goal ratio must be one of the best in the league, if not the best. So, you know, there's another one. If if Kilmarnock can stay in the league, they've got to, you know, they renew the contract of Lafferty. They've got an out-and-out goal scorer, which is really hard to come by at any level. Um, they're already in the club. And then they can start building the group, you know, in the round that. And as I said, Greg Kilty is a number 10, very intelligent, can assist people, can score himself, great work ethic, loves Kilmarnock Football Club. So as long as he's over the, 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 the tough injuries he's had over the last few years, that could be a great combination going forward as well. Just we're talking about Kyle Lafferty, Chris Boyd came to mind there, you had him in your, in your year at Rugby Park as well. Can you compare the two between uh, Kyle and, and Chris? Yeah, I mean, Chris was fantastic for me. Great senior professional. Great mentality on the pitch. Always pushing my messages across uh, to the players. Um, and, and, and was, you know, fantastic. Uh, uh, obviously, Chris was coming towards the end of his career then. I wish I'd have had him in his in his prime, you know, when he was... Because even at, at his age, when he was playing for me, he was fantastic. A, a great goal scorer in training. It, 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 these guys who are goal scorers, you know, I've been lucky enough to play alongside many of them and coach some. And Chris is up there, and you can tell because it's they love scoring goals, five aside, seven aside, small sided games. They just love it, and they, they, they score any goal. They, they want to score tap ins, they want to score thirty yarders. It doesn't matter; it means the same to them. And Chris was at that, but Chris was a, you know, brilliant for me with this. You know, helping with the Scottish football and you know, learning me about the other teams. Obviously, with the staff I had with Lee McCulloch and Peter Leaving as well, and Billy Thompson, they were all great. And Chris was brilliant for us on the pitch. Now, as I said, the two games are coming up. But I think when the way you're talking, you still follow Kilmarnock quite closely. You've talked very highly of Tommy Wright, so I don't think it's a shot in the dark to suggest that you think Kelly will get through these two legs against Dundee then. Yeah, listen, the key factor for me is stop Charlie Adam. He makes them tick. He's he's an outstanding signing for Dundee in, in the Championship in Scotland. You know, he could still play in the Premier League in Scotland. He could still play at a high level down here, uh, down in England. Sensational footballer. Give him time on the ball. He can put the ball through with Ivan Needle like he did for a couple of the goals in the first leg against Wraith. That, that I would imagine Tommy is saying to his team, is he's prepping them for the first leg? Don't give him time or space. Get his head down, press him, make him go backwards or sideways so he cannot hurt you. Because if you give him the chance to either pull the trigger himself from distance or pick out one of these sensational passes he's got, he can hurt you. So if they can stop, you know, the supply line coming from Charlie Adam, they have a great opportunity to to nullify the, the threats that Dundee have going forward. And obviously, Tommy's team are scoring goals, so they're creating chances as well. So he'd be confident that they can, you know, get some opportunities in, in both the games. Let's talk about you before we go, Lee. Um, since you've left Kilmarnock, you've been at Berry, you've been at Blythe Spartans. Um, not a lot of people will know where you are now. Let's let's find out where you are. I'm at Al Marik, which is one of the biggest clubs in Africa, based in Sudan. Currently in Egypt, in Cairo, I've been on a training camp here for three three weeks. We played in the African Champions League. We are second in the league, three points behind our rivals Hilal, but with a game in hand. Who we actually play uh, when the league resumes on Sunday, 23rd of May. We're close neighbours. We're very much like Dundee and Dundee United. Stadiums on the same street. So, you know, rivals in more sense of the word. And just a shame, um, 
that the fans aren't allowed. We get 43,000 every week when COVID restrictions are lifted. Hilal gets 35. And uh, so it's dis- that's the only disappointment. But um, looking forward to the game. Been been a brilliant experience. New culture. Certainly they eat something different <laughs> into the mid-40s at the moment. So, you know, a little bit different for northeast Englishmen who's, when I spoke me family a couple of days ago, it was snowing in Newcastle, so a little bit different than the weather forecast for it. As long as you're enjoying it, Lee, that's the main thing. <laughs> no, great. And uh, just before I go, I just wish Kilmarnock all the best. Club close to me heart. Uh, I want to see them do well, and I hope they can get through this tricky uh, doubleheader. I think they can, I think they will, and I'll, have, I'll be watching very closely on the result. Former Kilmarnock boss Lee Clark on the Premiership playoff game, which is coming up this week. A couple of other news stories to mention before we go, and at Dunfermline, they're on the lookout for a new manager after Stevie Crawford tendered his resignation from the Pars following their playoff quarter final loss to Wraith Rovers. Crawford had been in charge at East End Park for two years. Crawford cited a form of burnout, saying in an interview with The Courier, I'm not ashamed to say that because I believe it shows the dedication I had to the job. I did wonder whether it was worth trying to grind it out and get over this feeling. However, that isn't fair on the club. I'm absolutely beat. It's been 24-7 for 28 months. He hasn't ruled out a return to the dugout in the future, though, and we certainly wish him well here at Free Kick. There was also disappointment for Scotland international Erin Cuthbert in the Women's Champions League final when her Chelsea side were soundly beaten 4-0 by Barcelona in Gothenburg on Sunday. Cuthbert got on the pitch after 73 minutes, but the game was already a loss by then, with all four goals scored in the first half. Now, commiserations to Erin, and I don't think it'll be the first and only time she graces that particular stage. That's about it for Free Kick, the Scottish football podcast, and this podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's first dedicated sports podcast network. So find the next show you'll love, or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests, Chick Young, Grant Stott, Stuart Cosgrove and Lee Clark, and to you for listening. Join me for another episode next week as we look back at the playoffs, the Scottish Cup final and the Scotland squad for Euro 2020, plus maybe one or two other things too. Take care, have a great week, and I'll be back soon. Bye for now. great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network With the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky No, no, nothing like that It's just these cash prizes add up quick so I suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.